Well, good morning, Faith family. How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody doing good? It is so good to see you here this morning. So excited to be with you again. I tell you, despite all the turmoil that continues in our country today, and, and certainly we want to remember France and Turkey and so many other places where there just seems to be so much chaos. In spite of all of that, we had a wonderful week here this past week with our Discovery Point Kids Camp, and I tell you, it was just an amazing time. I'm going to invite with me up here this morning, uh, Pastor Gabe, if you will come on up here, and Nick and Teresa, you guys come on up. We just want to uh, talk a little bit about DPK Camp before we get into uh, the message here this morning, but it was a great week, and uh, I tell you, it was amazing to see so many kids running uh, these halls and, and gathered in this room. We had right at 300 children that were here this week. And then we, and this was just really amazing to me. We had over 100 volunteers, amen? And yeah, it was, a, it was an amazing, amazing time. Um, I, I want, uh, Gabe, if you will, to just share a little bit. And I know you got something exciting to share as well. So just share a little bit about camp this past week. We had an amazing, amazing week. And the theme was called Game Changer. And so every day we challenged the kids to be game changers. But that starts with knowing the ultimate game changer, Jesus. And so all week we asked the question, are you on God's team? And so that's something that we really talked with the kids about all week. And on Friday, we had 10 kids say, I want to be on God's team. And they came to know Jesus Amen. as the Lord and Savior. So that's exciting, very exciting about that. It's so exciting to see kids' lives change, for, you know, just forever by the power and presence of Christ in their life. And, and we celebrate these salvations and the many more who just were impacted by Jesus this week and, and by the, the discipleship and all the volunteers pouring into them. I want to just say here this morning, I want to say thank you to Teresa Parkinson and Nick Hampton, who just in such an incredible way sort of headed up and spirit up this uh, this event this week, and so could we give them a hand this morning as well? And uh, and of course, uh, Pastor Gabe here uh, as our family pastor. I tell you, it was just an incredible time, and uh, I hope that many more of you next year can can participate and and maybe uh, help us that that next week or that week when we have camp because it was truly incredible. And I think Teresa's going to give us another year after this year. Is we're, that we're is praying, that a yes, Teresa? Praying. Yes. So. Uh, uh, let's just let's just praise Jesus one last time and just thank yeah. thank him for what he's doing here. Thank you guys so much for your effort. And I also want to say too, uh, just a, a big thank you to our volunteers. Like I said earlier, we had over a hundred people that were here helping us, and it was so encouraging to see that. Last year we were short on volunteers, but this this year uh, we had almost a, a one to three ratio. It was incredible. And things just went so smooth. So should we, could we give just a thank, a big thank you to our volunteers this year as well? Thank you so much, Faith Family. I tell you, it was a wonderful time. And just knowing that, that 10 kids gave their life to Christ and be changed forever uh, is just truly, truly amazing. I want to just share one last thing before I dive into God's Word here this morning. And that is, um, uh, for, I think for the... For the last year or so, we have been doing these things called One Big Life Group. We kicked it off back when we, we kicked off Vertical Initiative. And, uh, and what we do is we bring our life groups together in this place, in this building. It's a, it's a giant covered dish supper. And it was incredible. The first one we did back when we kicked off the Vertical Initiative was just incredible. All the life groups coming together. And the feedback that we got was 
it was really just one of encouragement. Hey, we got to do this more often. It's really uh, great to get all the life groups together. And we were, we were totally convinced uh, that that was something we needed to do as well. Uh, and so we, we planned another one, and that was last February. We, we uh, did this one, not here, but we did it out at Terra Chula Plantation in Brooks County, and uh, we called it the Family Fun Day, and it was just so amazing to have all the life groups and many different people from the church come out to, to the plantation there and just spend time together. But what I was really impressed by was how the, the life group leaders, they, they gathered each life group and they ate together and they, they had fun together. It was just a family fun day, and so it was a really special time. But tonight, we're going to have our third One Big Life group. And what it is is we're, again, it's going to be here in this location. We're going to bring you in here. We're going to have uh, everyone that comes to bring a covered dish, and we're just going to have an amazing time of fellowship. It begins at 6.30 tonight, and I want to say this. Maybe some of you are here today, and you're already thinking, well, I'm not in a life group. Well, let me just say, come on anyway, okay? This is a church-wide thing. Uh, it's not just about those that are in life group. It's about those who are in life group or, or share this place as a faith family with each other. And, and so I want to encourage you to come out. Who knows, maybe you'll find that life group that you want to uh, be a part of. And so we want you just to come on out and have a good time. It's going to be an amazing time of fellowship and gathering and vision. And it's going to be an incredible thing uh, tonight at 6.30. We'll, be, we'll have you out of here by 8 o'clock or before, I promise you. So it's going to be a great thing. So I want to encourage you to come on out and be a part of that. So let's, uh, let's dive into a word, of, uh, a word of prayer. Let's spend some time just with God here just this morning and, uh, and, and ask Him to just prepare our hearts for the, for the message this morning. Uh, I'm so excited about this series and what God's doing. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump right in. So pray with me if you will. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit of God, Lord, we thank you for this time together where, Lord, we can come and gather as a faith family, Lord, to, to spend time together, to fellowship together, to, to just gather together with a spirit that says we, want, we are here to worship you. And God, we've had such an incredible time gathering and worshiping and, and praising our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, it's just so wonderful. Father, I pray a prayer of praise to you, thanking you for the life change that we saw this week in our children. God, from salvations to those who just grew in a deeper relationship with, with you, Father, we are thankful. We are thankful for the reality that so many came out to serve in such remarkable ways and to help us to accomplish this huge task of of just discipling our children. And Father, I pray that as we, as we think about all that you're doing in this place, that our hearts would be filled with thanksgiving, even as we pray now, hearing the children in the other room, just lifting their voices in praise. God, it's just so amazing to see what you're doing in this place. And God, we love you, and we praise you, and we worship you. We thank you for this time now where we can jump into your word, and God, you can speak into our hearts and and Father, we would be transformed by your presence in our life. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This series uh, was titled Greater Than, and it's been going on now. This is our seventh week. And what we intended to do was to, to show how Jesus is greater than anything else we might face in this world. 
And each week, we've been walking through different issues that we face as children of God, as a local church, as just individuals trying to live their life in a pursuit of holiness. And so every week, we've just looked at different topics or issues, if you will, that affect us as individuals. We looked at things like anxiety and a lack of peace. We looked at things like anger or fear. We looked at things like bitterness and apathy. We looked at things like deadness in our life and how that can just adversely affect us as, as believers in Christ Jesus. And so we, we, we were looking at all these issues, and today is no different. We want to we wanna sort of pick a topic and, and dive in and see what God's Word teaches us about how we can live our life in pursuit of Him with our eyes on the author and the perfecter of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to ultimately bring glory to God in everything that we say and do. Wherever we live, work, and play, we want to pursue Jesus with all that we are. And so this morning, we want to dive into God's Word and see how we can continue in this study learning that Jesus is greater than whatever else we may consider. This morning, we're going to be talking about the issue of criticism. The issue of criticism. I, I want to look at this. This is something we have planned months and months ago, and I, and I want to look at this because the reality is every single one of us that are sitting here this morning have been on the receiving end of criticism in some way. If I had you raise your hands, you don't have to do that this morning, but if I had you do that, every one of us have been criticized by someone. It's, it's a reality in our world today. Criticism is, is pretty much everywhere. And whether or not we're talking about being on the receiving end of criticism as an individual, as someone who is deeply hurt and wounded and suffers because of the criticism that we hear about ourselves, or whether we're talking about criticism that is directed toward us as a faith family, as a local church, we all need to understand how to live out our life to where criticism doesn't overwhelm us and criticism doesn't destroy us and criticism doesn't cause deep pain in us, but rather we get to a place where we say to ourselves and to, our, to each other that Jesus is greater than any criticism we may face. Amen? How many of you agree with that this morning? That Jesus is greater than the criticism or the judgment that we may receive from others. It's important for us to understand this. It's important for us to understand it because criticism is plaguing our nation today. Criticism is something that's very real in our world today. We see it all over our country in every uh, just form of, uh, uh, of communication that we hear. You know, any way that we may hear of things happening in our country today, we see criticism is on the forefront. It's in our communities. It's in our workplace. It's in our schools. It's even in our churches today. And so the reality is we want to we dive into God's Word and see what it is that, that, that God's Word teaches us about criticism. This past week, there was a memorial service for the five policemen in Dallas who were killed. And, and I thought it was interesting. You know, you had President Obama and George Bush who both showed up there to speak at this, at this memorial service. And I was, I was riding down the road and I was listening to what each of these leaders of our, of our country had said. And one of the things that George uh, Bush had said, George W. Bush had said, that was really remarkable to me because it spoke so much truth. He was really revealing the, the heart 
of mankind as it relates to criticism. This is what he said. He says, too often we judge people by their worst examples, and yet we judge ourselves by our best intentions. Too often we judge people by their worst examples, and yet we judge ourselves by our best intentions. In other words, we too often look at people with a critical spirit. We look at their worst examples in their life and we criticize. But we would never want them to criticize us should we find ourselves in the same place. And that's in essence what he was saying. Knowing that we were speaking on this, it just really resonated with me as I heard those words because I really think that it sort of reveals the the human heart, if we're not careful. But see, as, as believers in Christ Jesus, as children of God, we are called, we are set apart to be different than the world. Amen? We are called to be different. And so this morning, I, I would like for us to try to understand how it is that we can understand how to deal with criticism as we confront it or we hear of it or we have to deal with it in our lives today. In the book of Nehemiah, we see a story of a man named Nehemiah who had received word that, that Jerusalem had been destroyed, that the walls of Jerusalem are down. They had been tore down. The walls were, were laying in just piles of rubble. And as Nehemiah heard the news of his home, he, his heart broke and and as he began to pray, what we begin to see is that God calls this man to go back to Jerusalem, to go back to his homeland, and to rebuild these walls. And so that's exactly what he does. He, he takes the commissioning of God, and he applies it to his life, and he sets out, and he goes back to Jerusalem. And upon beginning construction on this rebuilding of the walls, he immediately began to receive criticism. One of his main critics was a guy named Sanballat. And Sanballat was a man who began to criticize Nehemiah for this great work that he was doing. And as we look into that story, we begin to realize that there's so much that we can learn from Sanballat being this, this main character of criticism in Nehemiah's life. As I was sort of refreshing on the story and reading through the scripture and praying about God, what God would, would have me to, to say this morning, I began to jot down a few things that I thought were, were really revealing about that story and, and, and how true criticism can, can just hurt in such huge ways. But, but we, we learned something about criticism. And I, and I wrote these things down, and I, and I thought it was really sort of amazing as I read through this story. One of the things I wrote down is this, is that there will always be those who unjustly criticize. No matter what you do in your life, there's going to be somebody who disagrees with what you're doing in your life. All along, as we live out our life, there are going to be people who, who just don't like what we do. And, and many times, maybe the criticism is just, but many times in our life, the criticism is unjust. In other words, they don't know us, they don't know our heart, and yet they would criticize us and they would speak against us. And that's what, exactly what we see here. In fact, in Nehemiah 4, verse 1, it says this, it says, when Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and he was greatly insist. He ridiculed the Jews. You know, I, I looked at that. He ridiculed, ridiculed the Jews. He was angry over the reality that they were rebuilding the wall. And the question that comes to my mind is why? 
I mean, here you have a city in which Sanballat lives. Here you have a city in which the walls have been destroyed. There's really virtually no protection to any enemy that would come in and seek to destroy them. I mean, there's, the, the walls are laying in shambles. And here's a guy named Nehemiah, along with others who responded to the call, setting out to rebuild the walls. I mean, this would be a beautiful thing, wouldn't it? But unjustly, he was criticized by this man named Sanballat. Another thing that we come to realize is that critics can often be relentless. Many times, they just won't give it up. Once they, once they get into this critical spirit, they just won't give it up. And we often see this in our life, people that just seem to continue attacking. And it's, it's so hard and it's so hurtful to hear criticism, especially if it's, if it's unjust, coming from different people. And, and what we begin to realize is that criticism really, truly is a heart issue. And in and, and chapter 4 of Nehemiah, verse 2, we read here where Sanballat, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from the heaps of rubble burned as they are? I mean, Sanballat just wouldn't let it go. And so often, that's the way we see the criticism in our life, don't we? Another thing I wrote down was this, is that critics will usually find reinforcements. Oftentimes, they seek out reinforcements, but usually they will find those who, who will join in on the criticizing. And this story is no doubt any different than that. Nehemiah 4.3, it says this, that Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, at, at the side of Sambalat, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their walls of stone. And so he's joined in to the, the fight, so to speak, in criticizing Nehemiah. Our world is full of people who criticize. And you know, as believers in Christ Jesus, oftentimes we come to a crossroads when we hear criticism of, of, of someone or different people in our world. You see, basically, when we're on the receiving end of, of criticism, if someone is criticizing someone else to us, or maybe they're even criticizing ourselves, we have an opportunity to either push back on that or to, to get on board with that. And that's really the only two options, isn't it? And this morning, I would like for us to look into God's Word, and we're going to be going to a, a passage in Ephesians that I think helps us understand how we, as children of God, can best understand how we are to respond in the face of criticism. The big question would be this, is how do we react when we hear criticism? And the, the short answer would be basically this, don't buy into it. Don't buy into it. Here's the reality. A congregation full of Sanballats and full of Tobias will never transform the world for Christ. They just never will. And so that's what we want to look at here this morning. How do we handle criticism when we are confronted with it? This morning, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at a passage in, in verse 29 through 32. Verses 29 through 32. And we're going to be diving into this passage. The title of this message is Encouragement is Greater Than Criticism and Judgment. Encouragement is Greater Than Criticism and Judgment. When we are on the brink, when we are tempted with criticism, even in our own life, one of the things that God's Word teaches us is that we need to be reminded that encouraging one another is much greater than, 
than ever criticizing one another, than tearing someone down. And so we find ourselves wanting to respond like Jesus. Hopefully, we find ourselves wanting to respond like Jesus. And God's Word here teaches us so much about what we can learn and how we can respond in a godly way, in a Christ-like and Christ-honoring way. And so we look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting with verse 29 and reading through verse 32. Read this with me, if you will. Because how we respond to criticism is so important. Verse 29, Paul says this. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What an amazing passage here that we can read and understand. You see, it seems as though we live in a world today, a culture, if you will, that is so harsh and critical. I mean, everywhere we look, there just seems to be criticism. And oftentimes, being critical is perceived as being really bold and admirable characteristics. In other words, if, if you stand up and you criticize it, it can often be seen as someone who is, who is a person of strength, whereas someone who is restraining in their words, or even more than that, encouraging in their words, is often seen as a person of weakness. That's what the world would say. But quite honestly, what I believe, and I believe the Word of God teaches us, is that it requires more strength to encourage, especially when those are criticizing us, it requires more strength for us to offer, instead of more criticism or a returning criticism, to restrain from that and to speak words that would encourage and help build us closer together and encourage one another together and bring us together as the body of Christ, or to make an impact on those who don't know Christ. I believe it requires more strength to pursue the ways of Christ than it does to embrace criticism ourselves, to tear people down, to tear people up. In this passage, we, we see that, that Paul is revealing several very important truths for us to understand, and God's Word teaches us here to be really peacemakers in a world full of chaos. And so this morning, we want to we want to look at this. What is it that the Word of God is teaching us? What is it that the Word of God is revealing to us that would contrast the worldly ways that we see running rampantly in our world today, in our culture? Here's the first thing that I want to point out. That our words should be uplifting instead of unwholesome. Our words should be uplifting instead of unwholesome. This is the very first thing that we see here in our text as we dive into it in verse 29. Paul says this, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. So he says, listen, don't let anything that's going to tear people down or, or destroy unity, don't let any uncorrupt words come out of your mouth. He says, but instead, he offers something else. He says, but use only such words that is good for building up as it fits the occasion. Now look at this, and he says, that it may give grace to those who hear that it may give grace to those 
who hear. And so here in this one, one verse, we see that the reality is, as a child of God, we don't have to buy into this world of criticism, but instead we have options here, that God has laid out for us a better plan, that God has laid out for us a better pathway that we can choose instead of embracing the ways of the world. And so Paul says here very clearly, he says, he says, don't let corrupt talk come out of your mouth. The Greek word that is used here is sapros that Paul is using. And he, it literally means, I love this, it literally means rotten. It, basically what he's saying here is he's saying, it, this word is often used to, to describe rotten fruit and vegetables or rotten meat or sour milk. It's, it's not at all what you would want to digest. It's not what you would want to eat. And so here he uses this word. He says, don't let any rotten talk, any, any, any talk come out of your mouth that you would never want to serve. He says, don't let this come out, but instead use only such words that build people up. And the reality is that this isn't easy for us, especially when people have wronged us especially when people have criticized us. It's not easy. It's never easy. That's why it requires so much strength. That's why it requires so much intentionality. That's why it requires so much discipline on our part as children of God. To not buy into the criticism, but to push back on the criticism. To take a different path. And that's exactly what Paul is revealing here to us, that there are, there are basically two ways that we can respond here. One is a way that is not very glorifying to God. The other is one that would be very pleasing to God. And so he lays these out for us. Matthew Henry once said this. He says, it is a great duty of Christians to take care that they offend not with their lips and that they improve discourse and converse as much as it may be for the good of others. And that's exactly what this passage is speaking of, isn't it? Don't use words that break down. Don't use words that criticize. Don't buy in to the critical spirit of the world, but rather present Christ and his grace as we have conversation. Now, I'm not saying don't ever disagree with anybody. For heaven's sakes, I can't imagine that. Can you? I don't think that's what Paul's saying here either. But it's amazing how we come together with people who we differ with and how quickly emotions can, can get out of control and critical words begin to be shared and all for the sake of what? Not in building unity. Not in hopes of restoration. But words that are shared that destroy relationships. Words that are shared that wound and hurt and cause those to suffer. Paul says, take the high road. Paul says, don't fall into the trap. Take this, this path, one that is honoring to God. King David once said this in Psalm 141. He said, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. King David is crying out to God and he says, God, guard my mouth guard my lips, that I don't say anything that you would not have me to say. And as I think about this world in which we live in and the attack that especially Christians come under from such a, a world that is so opposing to Christianity, 
Many times the words that we choose are unholy words or they're, or they're unwholesome words at best instead of words that may bring people to a place of restoration. The second thing that I, I jotted down as I was looking at this text and thinking through it was this. In addition to, to that, we need to also understand that our deepest desire should be to glorify God. As a child of God, what should be inside, what should be within us as believers in Christ Jesus is a desire to bring glory to God. That's what should be within us. We should be at a place where our greatest desire is to live our life in such a way that it is pleasing to God, that people would be encouraged by, by what they see in us, that what people would see in us is Christ's likeness. That should be the desire of any child of God, any disciple of Christ. That what we would desire more than anything is to bring glory to him. And that's exactly what we see here as Paul challenges us as believers in Christ Jesus. Remember, he is writing to the church. He's writing to a local gathering in Ephesus when he writes these words. He's writing to believers. And he says, listen, when you, when you use your language, when you use your mouth to communicate, when you say things to people, he says, do it in such a way that it brings glory to God. And he says this, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says it like this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. And so we see where God's word is teaching us something really important about how to live our life as, as children of God, how to live our life. And, and, and that should be the desire when we're speaking to anyone, like our spouse or our, our children or our neighbors or our friends or our coworkers, as we're speaking to them, we, we, the, the greatest desire that exists in our heart should be one to present to them words that would be encouraging, not destructive, so that in our words we would not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That when we speak about someone, that the words we use would not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Here in verse 30, the word says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The reality is, is that whenever we sin, whenever we commit sin that violates the holiness of God, it will grieve the third person of the Trinity. It will grieve the Holy Spirit. We must choose our words that are glorifying to God. John MacArthur said this, all sin is painful to God, but sin in his children breaks his heart. When his children refuse to change the ways of their old life for the ways of their new life, God grieves. You know, as we consider grieving the Holy Spirit, and I, I can almost imagine that none of us in this room would, would desire to grieve the Holy Spirit, but as we consider even the, the temptation, even the possibility of, of grieving the Holy Spirit, we must also understand that grieving the Holy Spirit will, not, will more times than not lead to quenching the Holy Spirit. The reality is, is that we have been called not to do that. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, it says, do not, quite simply, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Because of our new life in Christ, our desire should be to please God and to worship Him, and to glorify Him. When I was growing up as a kid, I hated getting in trouble with my dad. I hated it. 
Now, I can only remember one time when I ever did anything bad, okay? Next week, it'll be on lying, okay? The message will be on lying. No. But, but growing up, I hated to get in trouble with my dad. And here's why. It, it, wasn't, the, it wasn't the fear of punishment or discipline that I, I feared with my dad, although my dad could lay on a good spanking. It, it wasn't that that I, I feared. It, it really wasn't. I, as, a, as a little kid, I could stuff my pants with newspaper like the best of them, you know? You, you ever do that? You know, your dad sends you up and he gives you about a good hour to put about three good T-shirts in your pants before that spanking comes, you know? But uh, how many of you ever did that as a kid? You act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, just three of us. Is that what you're saying? Only three. Anyway, I used to, I used to dread getting in trouble with my dad. But it wasn't because I feared the punishment that would come if I did something wrong. It was the disappointment that I saw in my dad. You see, my dad was my best friend. And I remember this one time when, when I, had, I had not been the son that I should be, and I remember he said, go on up to your room, and I'll, I'll, I'll be there in a second. And he came on up a few minutes later, and he sat down, and he looked at me, and, it, and I could just see the hurt on his face. I mean, you know, we hadn't even got to the spanking part now. This was just the talk, you know. And as he sat there and he just shared with me, he said, he said, son, I just, I really wish you wouldn't have done that. It really hurts me when you do this. And that broke my heart. As a kid, I think that's probably what kept me out of trouble more than, 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 than I was ever in, was just this desire because of this great love that I had for my dad to disappoint him or to bring sadness to him. It wasn't the punishment. I wanted to please my dad. I wanted to, my dad to be proud of me. In the same way, as we read through this text, we, we begin to understand that what Paul is saying here, he says, listen, don't be critical. Don't use unwholesome words when you say things about other people, but instead use words that build people up because the last thing we want to do is grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The last thing we want to do is to grieve Him. Our greatest desire as a believer in Christ Jesus is to please our Heavenly Father. And finally, the last thing I wrote down was this, is that our attitude should always be that of a peacemaker. Our attitude should always be that of a peacemaker. Once again, Paul, he contrasts the worldly ways to that of, uh, of one who has been transformed by the power of God. In verse 31, this is what Paul says. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. I want you to hear this. This is what the Word of God is teaching us this morning as we look into these passages. In verse 31, Paul says this. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, look at these next few words here now, all of this be put away. Be put away. The Word of God teaching us that as believers in Christ Jesus, when we are feeling those emotions, when those emotions are welling up within us, and we begin to, to feel or sense this, this very critical spirit, that what we could do is push away from that. Instead of, instead of being that kind of person, push away from that. And this is where the, the contrast comes, because Paul says, don't let that happen in your life. Push away from that. Run from that. Flee from that. Turn away from that. And then he says here in verse 32, he says, do something different. He says, be kind to one another. 
Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. He says, push away from this and instead be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Let me ask you a question this morning, faith family. How many of you are thankful that God has forgiven you? How many of you are thankful this morning that we stand in God's grace? We talked about that last week. Think about that for just a moment. Receiving forgiveness for that which we don't deserve. That's what grace is. Receiving forgiveness for that which we don't deserve. You see, it's real hard when we are being criticized by others to not join in. It's real hard to push back. It's real hard to to really understand that. When, When we begin to when we begin to see those who are criticizing us as being the enemy, it becomes real hard for us to, to just take a back seat or to, to even counter that with words that are encouraging and build them up. Why is that? Because we, we begin to think that they deserve it. We begin to rationalize our feelings by believing that they deserve anything that we can offer. We begin to look at people as our enemy. Sometimes people within our own faith family, we begin to look at them as the enemy. What does God's word say about how we are to look at our enemy anyway? Even if if they are out to get us, even if they do continue to criticize, even if they do seek reinforcements to get behind their criticism and criticize us even more, How do we respond to that? Let me just share this with you, what Jesus says in Luke 6. He says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. you hear those words? I get it. We live in a world where it just seems like there's always somebody around the corner that just wants to stab us in our backs. And I get it, how how critical words can wound us and hurt us and cause us to suffer in ways that we never imagined. I've been there. I've been there as just a man. I've been there as a pastor where I have to just take it like a man and it doesn't feel good at all. I get how hard it is to respond in this way, the way the Word of God is teaching us to respond in the midst of criticism. I get how that feels. I get how incredibly difficult it is. Many of you have been through probably situations where You've been wounded so deeply, it just seems maybe impossible to overcome. The Word of God leads us to a place where we, as the children of God, are called to take the higher ground. To choose the righteous path. 
Jesus was one who was criticized. Jesus was nailed to a cross. And yet Jesus tells us as followers to love our enemies. I get that it's a hard pill to swallow. But what the Word of God is teaching us is that we should embrace the attitude of peacemakers. I want to close this morning with the last, I mean, with the seventh promise of our series. We've been going through different promises, and this one comes from Matthew 5, verse 9 of the, of the Beatitudes. But, it, but Jesus himself, he says this. This is the promise of God's Word to us. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. My prayer for you this morning and for us as we continue to live out our life as children of God, as disciples of Christ, is that whenever we are confronted with criticism, as deeply as it may hurt, that for us the desire of our heart would be to, to turn to Christ, to spend time in prayer, to stand in His grace and to respond in a way that would be glorifying to God. Because that's what the Word of God has called us to. In just a moment, our band is going to come up here and they're going to lead us in a time of prayer. They're going to lead us in a time of worship. At Cross Point, we have an opportunity here this morning to continue in a spirit of worship. Maybe for you, your greatest act of worship is to just is to just contemplate on the Word of God and, and how, in whatever way God has spoken into your life, just, just go to Him. You can come to this altar or you can just remain where you are, but just go to Him. And maybe it's a spirit of worship, maybe it's a spirit of petition, but whatever it is, just turn to your Heavenly Father and seek guidance from the only one who can truly give us wisdom and how we can deal with the criticisms that we face in this world. God cares deeply for you. And he's given us his word that we can pursue the ways of Christ and walk in his light, that marvelous light, and experience the fullness of God like we never have before. So let me pray. And then we'll close out this service with a time of worship to the Holy One. Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we thank you for your presence in our life. God, how you continue to lead us and guide us and challenge us, sometimes even rebuke us. But God, knowing that when all of that takes place, God, it's happening because you care so deeply for us. Father, we love you and we praise you and we worship you in spirit and truth here today. God, we prepare our hearts to stand and to sing an amazing song that, that takes us to a place of worship and adoration for a God who has redeemed us by His grace. God, we are thankful for You. We are thankful for Jesus Christ who was willing to go to the cross on our behalf. Lord, we love You so much. We praise You and we thank You, Jesus, for God, your amazing presence in our life. 
Lord, we pray for countries like France and Turkey. And God, we even pray, Lord, for our own nation. Because as a nation, we seem to be standing so divided. God, we do need wisdom. Our leaders need wisdom. Father, the church needs wisdom. And God, I pray that as we leave this place today, that our pursuit would be one that doesn't resemble the ways of the world. But God, as the world looks into our life, what they would see is Christ. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We absolutely adore you in the name of Jesus. We pray, amen.